Welcome to Paint My Mind Podcast with your host, Rasmus Lenthagen. Follow along as we explore a wide range of different topics in search for a greater life and better problems. Now, enjoy the show. Dr. Max Galhain, welcome, welcome to the show. Hey, Rasmus, how are you? Yeah, I'm great, buddy. How are you? Good, really good. Yeah, awesome, dude. Man, I want to talk to you about diet and um, specifically the carnivore diet. But before we uh, dig into it, I would just, if you could just share uh, a short version of your background and how you got into everything on nutrition and diet. Yeah, so I started taking uh, care or taking an interest in in my own diet after suffering from acne as a early adult in my early twenties, and I had been through the mainstream kind of medical treatment paradigm for bad acne, uh, which is basically a succession of cr- topical creams, topical antibiotics. Uh, and then oral antibiotics and uh, and then eventually some some quite heavy duty anti acne medication uh, the whole time uh, not really realizing that it was uh, a large a large part contributed by my diet so I, I essentially um yeah went went through a couple of years of just uh, chasing my tail with regard to my skin and and constantly having um, breakouts. And not really connecting the dots with what was a grain-based diet, um, and it was never junk food. I was never eating heaps of pizzas or or uh, fries or chocolate or any of the the typical junk food. But it was it was just a regular kind of Western diet, which was you know everyone was told to eat a lot of grains and you know going cycling and being active. I was drinking uh, they're called up and go here, but they're essentially just uh, the sugar and, and uh, vegetable oil emulsion, uh, and oats and these kinds of foods. So, uh, and lots of fruit. And at that point I wasn't, shouldn't have been eating that, that amount of fruit. And it, all this was, um, kind of going on and, and it prompted me the fact that I was getting this, this bad skin condition, um, you know, at, at a time where most people have well and truly, uh, stopped having acne. That was the the prompt for me to look into it. Um, o- overlying that was I was in medical school and I was a science. I would st- I'd already done a bachelor of science and I'd done all this this uh, like biomedical had all this biomedical knowledge and nothing that I'd learned uh, in the textbooks or uh, in my medical school curriculum was giving me an insight into into this problem so there was a double kind of uh double interest which was not only myself but what else could be caused or or provoked by by eating this way um so so that that that's a bit about how i got interested in in the nutrition and then being at medical school and then um, working as a doctor i realized that the same principles um, could could apply to help other people who have other conditions, not just related to to skin. And and it was interesting because as my skin cleared up, when I cut out grains and and um, uh, all kinds of sugar and uh, legumes and these types of foods, uh, I had a whole bunch of other um, symptoms also imp- improved. Excuse me. <coughs> 
things like irritable bless you thanks mate things like irritable bowel syndrome or just irritable bowel symptoms um just yeah i didn't get sick after changing my diet um to favor a more low carb uh carnivore type diet and all, all this mood was more was felt more stable and, and generally better just so, so it was a range of um interesting side effects that just uh came from that decision to to eat exclusively a very low carb and, and carnival based diet how, how did you sort that out like did you try a bunch of different things did you try cutting out you know because a lot of people when they have a problem they they might try to cut out meat first or cut out something else like how did you know what to cut out and yeah, so, and, and to go for more of a high fat diet. Yeah, so that's a good question, and and I it's something that I tell or, or advise people to do, and that's to use yourself an ex, as an experiment. <clears throat> Luckily, at the time, I I was following the work of Dr. Paul Saldino and Dr. Sean Baker, who are uh, medical doctors who advocates of of carnivore based eating, and they were really a, a good guide. But essentially, yeah, it was a process of elimination and transition from what I was doing. And, and just before I went uh, carnivore and, and low carb, I was actually doing a very plant-based diet. So I was eating heaps of legumes and grains and bread, like, you know, wholemeal bread and all this kind of thing. Uh, so, so it was quite a interesting um, switch, but one that worked fantastically. But essentially, yes, cutting out all those grains, cutting out uh, all these starchy and carb-based foods, and then... Um, I, w- I got to a point where I was doing keto, so so um, just like meat and a bit of salad. And <laughs> I remember eating my my salad with the spinach leaves, and I just eaten my protein, some kangaroo or steak, and I was you know fiddling with the spinach leaves, just wondering why I needed to eat these things. And then uh, at the same time, discovering the work of those carnival doctors and realizing, hang on, let's try without even <laughs> even any greens. And yeah, I felt even better on that regime so that that was a process and look i think everyone can benefit from doing this experimentation on themselves but everyone's got a different threshold by which they're prepared to change and change their lifestyle in the interest of self-experimentation and some people are much take takes a, a little amount of discomfort to start changing things up and for some people you know they can go through their whole life and uh, even having a heart attack and they're, they're not going to stop uh, smoking or, or drinking, uh, you know, eating Krispy Kremes and, and drinking uh, uh, Coke. So everyone's different, but I would definitely encourage people to experiment on themselves because the reason, um, I mean, there's lots of reasons, but the way I think about the evidence and scientific evidence and guidelines is that they're valid on or some of them are valid on a on an aggregate or like a population level and and the question is whenever you're thinking about you know these these guidelines the question you have to ask is am i represented in that that sample that they're they're speaking to when these guidelines or or evidence is is being issued and it's difficult because often uh you're unique well everyone's unique and you're not represented in that 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 sample it's not um granular or relevant to you so the 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 importance of using yourself as an experiment doing the n equals one experiment on yourself i don't think it can be overstated because um you know you're the only version of you 
Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. And I think we've lost that a little bit today because a lot of people, uh, without trying, they will um, either neglect or really push for different diets just because they've heard it from someone or it worked for someone else or they've read it in a magazine or it's what the government recommends. But I think we've uh, somewhere along the line, we've lost a little bit about uh, of this, like, how do I feel? How do I actually feel? And and not to just do like, for example, if you're going to jump on any diet, really, you can't do it for three days and say, oh, I don't feel the benefits. Like you have to actually give it a real shot. And, and it's yeah. it takes some discipline, I think. But if uh, just to cover for anyone listening who's never heard of of the carnivore diet, what are the fun fundamental principles of the carnivore diet? Yeah, so so carnivore eating is there's 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 lots of different approaches, and I guess the way I think about it is there's different tiers of of carnivore based on how restrictive uh, you want that you you want to be or how much you want to eliminate. So from from the most restrictive implementation of a carnivore diet would be something like only eating ruminant like beef, ruminant muscle meat, ruminant organ meat, and salt and water. So that's called the lion diet um, after Michaela Peterson, who is Jordan Peterson's daughter, who had a, mm. uh, cured a range of uh, autoimmune juvenile arthritis symptoms um, with a very strict approach like that. So that's, that's the most strict. And then below that, you've got other tiers of, um, of carnivore. So animal-based ketogenic diet, so really high-fat uh, animal animal-based keto diet so um, very very high animal fat from suet or from other forms of animal derived adipose like fat tissue um, and then a little and then protein but there's in a smaller percentage so that's specifically designed to keep people highly highly ketogenic um, and then then below that you've just got standard type more general carnivore diets which is including things like eggs and including things like dairy um, to seafood, everything of just a animal origin, and then below that you've got things like what Dr. Paul Saldino advocates for now, which is you know animal based, but it's essentially a ninety eighty to ninety percent um, animal meat and and dairy, but also including you know fruit and honey, and I, I really wouldn't call that a carnivore diet at all. The and that the 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 point though for your listeners is that each one of those approaches is a is appropriate for a different person at a different time. And I would also make the point that the most restrictive carnivore diets are, I think of them as therapeutic protocols. So they're actually a treatment prescription for people who are really unwell with, you know, severe autoimmune disease. Um, they might have quite severe epilepsy. They might be maintaining a deep ketogenic state for, um, for, to keep, cancers in, in remission so so those are more therapeutic protocols and usually after a period of time what i see is that um, or how i think about it is often that's enough to help people heal and then they can reintroduce foods and move down that list to a less restrictive um, version of an of a carnivore or low carb uh, and then you know perhaps even introduce vegetables if that's what they really love to do and and the point Rasmus that I want to make to your listeners is that this isn't the ideological 
opposite of veganism, or at least that's not how I see it. And I don't think that it's not about, mm. um, you know, how, how uh, loyal can you be to the doctrine or to the carnivore dogma. Uh, it's about what is the best approach for that person and what makes them thrive the most so um it's a it's a fluid transition and and at the moment so i've gone through phases of being very very strict carnivore and uh having healed all my my health issues um i'm i'm, I'm basically 80 to 90 percent uh carnivore and if i'm going over to someone's house and they've prepared you know some sauerkraut or some some kind of vegetable dish like i'll have a little bit um i won't prepare it for myself but i've i've guess i've i've gone to got to a point where i can tolerate um plant more plant food if i if i feel like it but um yeah i hope, I hope that makes sense for um for your listeners yeah and it, <clears throat> it definitely makes sense for me i i've been looking into all kinds of diets and and uh, i've tried keto and and i i really feel my best when I eat mostly fat and, and protein. And so to me, the carnivore diet or keto diet makes tons of sense. But I would say for the general population, it's it's almost like we're in, because over the last, I don't know how many years, what's been pushed is, you know, the typical standard diet, uh, the pie chart that we see, the biggest, the bottom piece is bread and grains and pasta and rice stuff like that so for people who like i understand that people are kind of hesitant to to try because we've been told that you know fat is really bad for you um you should be eating grains and even if you go to a supermarket like i go to the shops and i'd say 70 to 80 percent of the what they have in any supermarket is carbohydrate based so it's not the easiest diet to follow um, for any busy person, especially if you're not really well read on it. Yeah, and, and look, there is so many layers of narrative and maybe even programming that are keeping people in a state of, I would say, ignorance about the benefits of, of very low carbohydrate diets and ignorance in terms of the historical precedence of their use um, as well as the benefits. And what I mean by that is particularly since um, the 19, uh, late 1970s when the first dietary guidelines were released in the US and people, this kind of, there's been a crusade against the, the types of foods that are from animals, um, saturated fat is going to cause heart disease. You know, red meat is going to cause cancer. Um, eggs and cholesterol is is going to you know translate to increased likelihood of getting of of having a heart attack. So th that that has basically only accelerated since 1977, and people are confused, and because they're getting so many mixed messages and so much. Um, programming about how these foods are going to harm them but in in truth um the it's it's really the the exact opposite and if we go back to prior to the 18 late 1800s where the whole vegetarian and and kind of animal um 
anti-animal food uh, narrative began, which was with, with some Seventh-day Adventists who had strict religious beliefs about the consumption of animal food. Before that, you know, every society that has, has thrived um, and traditional societies based their their diet on on animal food. And not to say that they're all carnivore, but all, all of them, and, and I would recommend a book called uh, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by Weston Price for people who are interested. But essentially, you know, every independent um society that Western Price visited in the early 1930s who were still practicing their their native traditions um, had a diet that involved eating animal meat, animal fat, animal organs, um, you know, seafood if they were close to the coast. So exactly the opposite of, of what we get told collectively as a society um, today. And the, fa- the fascinating thing about Western Price's work is that these these tribes they had um, protocols around the specific consumption of animal foods and specific animal foods prior to letting their their young women get married and their young people get um, have oh. children. So what what that that meant and, and it varied depending on which tribe he, he visited. But some of them would would they have to eat a diet rich in you know, liver and blood. If they're some of the African tribes and and some of the the Inuits were fed uh, fish roe and fish eggs specifically for pregnant women and women looking to get pregnant. So so what that tells me is that um, and and you have to remember that these are these are tribal people. So they're the people that the the children that they're developing and they're bringing into the world. That is their the the value. That is their like. That is the tribe. If you have babies that are going to die in childbirth, that are sickly, that aren't robust, then your your actual tribe is going to be at risk. So what these people evolved culturally is practices that emphasized eating these foods. It's almost like an engineer who has built um, you know a hundred bridges. He he's worked out over time, or the the guild of engineers has worked out over time which components you need to build a strong bridge with and if you build the bridge with um you know if you don't put enough aggregate in your cement the bridge is going to collapse after 10 years so in in that same way the way i think about it is these tribal cultures um evolved a knowledge that when we eat these highly nutrient-dense animal foods we have less problems with you know complications of pregnancy the, the babies are more robust the babies are healthier the society is healthier and collectively they're they're actually they're, they're able to thrive so i think that's a really interesting anthropological thought about the value of these foods and to me that says so much more about the harm and the benefit or the alleged harm and the benefit of these foods compared to what um, a government body is issuing as an edict um, and when you look at the conflicts of interest and the influence of food industry and um, religious influence you you really really looking deeply there's no question that um, these these animal derived foods are essential for human health 
um, and we haven't even talked about the biochemistry or the the actual nutrient density. So all, all that to say, there's so many converging lines of evidence that support eating a diet really rich in in animal food, um, which is contra contra or counter to mainstream narratives about you know grain based diets, plant based diets, um, low low animal protein diets. And if you really want to think about how sick people are these days, I think the tolerance for eating food other than this high quality animal food has gone down and more and more people are sicker and sicker. And so more people are actually having to gravitate towards a low carbon and carnivore um, who perhaps might've been better off or might've previously been able to eat more plants previously and now having to 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 eat a more exclusively animal-based diet because they're they're sicker than they they were historically um so the, and and, that, and that's to say look there's other factors at play and i don't want your listeners to think that it's only a dietary picture of health but in terms of nutrition um i definitely think that animal meat and animal fat is a critical critical part of that yeah, many, many interesting things there. And I've heard about that book before. I had a guy uh, when I did the show in Swedish who uh, was raving about the book and, and we had a chat about similar things. And to me, it, I don't know if, if the listener is going to just to make it a little bit simple for people. This is the way I think about it is for one, if you look at how we used to eat, that makes tons of sense, especially living like where I'm living, because six months out of the year, there's no, there's no way you can grow stuff. So everything that you can eat is basically meat, fish. There's nothing else. You can't grow anything. Yeah. And also if just to be very, very like, you know, if, if I can get someone to maybe stop listening to everybody and just kind of thing for themselves is like ever since a high carbohydrate diet has been introduced what has happened from when it was introduced to now look at disease skyrocketing look at diabetes skyrocketing look at obesity skyrocketing and to not connect those dots that to me that's a really easy dot to connect like because most people would follow recommendations from governments and authorities and look look where it's it's getting us we're all yeah. fat and, and unhealthy and it's crazy yeah and and seed oil consumption as well i mean there's the three components of the processed food diet that you know most people are eating either deliberately or incidentally in the food supply um you know carbs refined carbs sugar and uh seed oils so yeah as you say rasmus when you plot the production of these foods, uh, these plant foods, um, against the incidence of of diabetes, obesity, uh, you really see a quite a quite close uh, relationship and correlation. And then when you remove them, you know the the metabolic disease, the obesity, the diabetes, kind of it goes away. So it it's saying that. Um, it's pretty it's it's quite obvious that that is a, one of the the key contributing factors yeah absolutely so what is the actual research because i mean for me or any other layman who's not a doctor or a scientist because it's being pushed so hard all the the carbohydrates and the grains and sugars 
what does the actual research on this say? And and is there any actual research? Because I know a lot of the places that um, do the research are funded by, you know, people with a vested interest in a certain result or uh, in a certain narrative. Yeah, and you're you're hundred percent right. And the the problem lies in the difficulty of deriving really high quality nutritional research because you can't control all the factors of the experiment in the same way you can if you're doing a, a trial with say just a, a medication. Um, you can't lock people up in a in a in a uh, hospital for twenty years and feed half you know a high carb. Um, diet and half a, a, yeah. a really low carb diet. So the 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 long term evidence is it exists, but it can be problematic um, and and basically prone to a lot of biases. And um, but when you do look back throughout the nutritional uh, epidemiological li- literature, so the science, um, yeah, the history of conflicts of interest with um, industry, particularly um, you know uh, seed oil based. The soy association uh, promoting uh, soy oil for consumption. I mean, it's 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 fraught and it's extensive, and um, you've got a situation where people are being recommended foods that are not necessarily good for them from a health point of view, but it's good for the, the underlying profit of uh, you know the various industries that make money from from these food products, uh, and and it just takes like you you. A really good um, example that I like to think about is if you get a jar of really high quality organic grass fed ghee, which is clarified butter, um, at, at my local shop here it costs about eighteen Australian dollars, and then not not far, not nearby, there's a bottle of canola oil, um, you know, seven hundred fifty mils of of canola oil, a uh, seed oil. The the cost is I think about four dollars, so you you've got a four time and that they'll probably last a similar amount of time if you use them in cooking to fry your eggs or to you know heat up onions for what if you're making some kind of curry um you that's a four times increased cost for the high quality animal fat compared to the low quality highly industrially manufactured seed oil, so it, it doesn't. Again, it's like let's let's use our independent thought here. Um, the amount of money that can be made from that product compared to the grass-fed ghee is you know is orders of magnitude larger by a, a corporation. So um, that's just one of the reasons why um, they're being pushed is because they're more profitable from from an economic point of view. Yeah, definitely. So to get back to um if the listeners are interested in trying a carnivore diet or something similar to that, are there any things that we need to think about? Because uh, I'll just touch on it, but I think a lot of people still think that carbohydrates are essential. Like we've been taught when I was a kid, it's like eat your breakfast cereals, eat, eat, you know, the breakfast is the most important meal of the day. You should eat the cereal and you need carbohydrates for energy and stuff like this. So going on a high fat diet, and or a low carb diet is there anything like do we need any supplementation do we need anything at all to to thrive yeah so that, that that's a really good question and the answer is that 
the human body, the physiology of the human body does not require carbohydrates as an essential factor in the diet. And the the evidence for this is that, that uh, a range of people, uh, populations like the uh, Inuit um, and like the Maasai seasonally go for you know stretches of six eight months without touching any kind of carbohydrate um, and they don't have mm. any kind of nutritional deficiencies and in, in addition to that you've got long-term carnivores guys like sean baker um, who similarly have have existed for um, you know very 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 long time without having carbohydrates is that op- the question and, and the reason for that is because the body has an innate capability of making glucose um, it's called gluconeogenesis through the, the liver so it, it can make um, carbohydrates uh, that it will make glucose in response to demands from certain certain parts of certain organs and certain cells that, that specifically need glucose the the question the next question is is that necessary uh, is it optimal? And again, I would go back to what Rasmus and I have said earlier, which is you need to ask yourself that question. And for some people, a strict zero-carb diet will be what they feel best on for their whole life. That is a very small number of people. And I think that a lot of people would be benefit from doing you know, mostly a meat-based diet, but perhaps during seasonal times, they can include um, you know, a, a range of things like berries or... Uh, you know, uh, fermented veggies if they feel like it at some point. But uh, again, not to be dogmatic and not to tell people to distrust their intuition. Whatever, whatever feels right for that person, um, they they should they should follow. And it, it also talks to this idea. Again, I'm going to split it up into the therapeutic use and the the lifestyle use. If you're just a guy who's um, mm. doesn't take medications, you're usually fit and well. You want to try this out. Just go, I would definitely agree that try doing 30, 60, 90 days of just meat um, you, you, and see how you feel. And again, always check in with yourself about um, how you feel as to uh, what to include and what not to include um, and, and how that makes you feel or and um, in terms of um, how long you want to try and how strict you want to be with, with carnivore. But all, all that to say, the carbohydrates um, aren't a necessary part of uh, of the human diet. There are some situations that it make it might be good to include things like breastfeeding women. Um, so, but again, it's it's easy. You can include things like berries or um, you know honey or something that's very low uh, low in plant toxins um, that can supply carbohydrate needs for intensive things like breastfeeding but um as a, as a whole uh yeah not not essential for for most people like your listeners who might be trying out uh, carnival for the first time yeah what what about fiber yeah now fiber that that that's a very controversial topic and you will hear a heap of different opinions from different people uh and some some might say you need fiber for optimal gut health and and micro bite your microbiome. Other people say you need fiber to to um, help you poop. Uh, in in my opinion, it isn't necessary to consume fiber, and 
uh, I don't consume very, a lot of fiber myself, and lots of um, you know animal-based people don't consume fiber regularly. Uh, they don't have any problems with pooping. There's no, they don't get const- we don't get constipated. Um, our gut microbiota are functioning just perfectly, and um, so I don't think it's necessary. And and I think the opposite, which is um, pushing a high fiber diet on certain groups of people like patients with diverticulitis which is a kind of a bowel condition or inflammatory bowel disease is is actually harmful because you're getting a whole range of um poorly digestible plant material um that that enters the large bowel and inflames that basically exacerbates all those symptoms and i would also say that um fiber can in certain people um, who are doing maybe just a low carb diet sure you you can eat a range of veggies if you were uh, for for fiber um, and that can have some benefits fiber in terms of fruit if people are doing an animal-based diet is better than drinking fruit juice because the fiber slows the absorption of the fructose but uh, as a rule for the people that are doing carnivore, which um, you know, I would, as I said, I'd encourage people to try, um, your fiber isn't isn't necessary. Yeah, awesome. So I wanted to ask something about greens, vegetables, salads, because that's another thing that we've been told, at least here, uh, but I'm sure in in most places on on the planet, that you know, eat your salad, eat your greens. It's really good for you. It's really healthy. Uh, like if someone goes for a meal at any place, they that's what you hear. It's like, I'll go for salad. That's healthy. And I think one, this is just me thinking, but I think one of the reasons is just because a salad usually is pretty uh, low in calories. So it would make sense if you were trying to lose weight or keep keep uh in shape and not eat too much but on the other hand i've heard people uh who are proponents of the the carnivore diet and a high fat diet that plants can actually be dangerous for us well maybe not dangerous but i've heard like i've heard like oh plants are trying to kill us that kind of thing yeah. that that can you can you speak on that yeah no definitely and you know dr anthony chafee is he's got a great talk um, yeah, called titled "Plants Are Trying to Kill You." So the the point that he makes is that a range of green leafy vegetables can can will do contain a range of substances that are involved in the plant's defense mechanism that, when ingested, can cause symptoms or or uh, irritate the, the GI tract or um, interfere with the body's functioning. Um, there's a range of, of these chemicals and there's things, I, mean, I won't go too much into detail, but there's a class of compounds called uh, isothiocyanates that are found in cruciferous veggies, um, things like broccoli and, and kale and these types of foods. And essentially, the, 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 they basically made when two different types of chemicals in the cell, um, when, when an animal or, or a human bites into the leaf, these two chemicals that uh, are at different parts of the cell basically combine together and they make this this substance that when when we ingest, when we eat it, can interfere with things like our thyroid hormone by 
by preventing us from absorbing iodine, which is a very important thyroid function. So um, that's one type of chemicals, and and uh, there's others like called called uh, phytates that impair the absorption or they stop the absorption of minerals from the from the tummy. There's things called oxalates, which are found in turmeric and um, in uh, Swiss chard, a, a range of um, like. Uh, uh, plant plant foods, uh, and they can accumulate or put pressure on on kidneys in terms of excreting the the oxalic acid, and they can cause symptoms that really um, kind of interfere with people's thriving. the The point that I want to make about them is that people have a different tolerance for these types of plant toxins, and people who are really unwell and if they've got immune autoimmune diseases or or other kinds of um, really, really fragile guts or uh, leaky guts, then their their tolerance for these plant foods is is really small. So they'll be they do well by by not including any. Uh, and then other people, you know, if they've got an intact gut, they can tolerate some. So it's not not to say that all people should should uh, not include them all the time, but um, the, there's definite evidence that they contain compounds that can can harm human health, and and these a lot of these compounds are known to to ag- animal agriculture as well. Uh, the isothiocyanate compounds, um, you know, veterinary medicine has has journals about these chemical these the uh, fa- in plants in the same family that that impair the fertility or that impair the the ability of their agricultural animals to to um, to operate optimally. So the, that's the story about the the plant toxins. And I think the reason why people favor them, which is what you were alluding to, is because they're still on this calories in, calories out dietary paradigm, which um, which base is based on this idea that if we eat less calories we're going to um, somehow lose lose weight and look that's that's problematic from for a whole number of reasons and it ignores the way that um, the ho- hormones act when we eat different types of foods and and uh, it's another whole topic in itself but uh, essentially there's been a, a misplaced um, emphasis on eating these these types of um, salads for the reason that um, they simply don't contain the nutrients that uh, the, the meat and animal-based products do, and they contain um, these anti-nutrients that, uh, and, and toxins that can be a problem for, for people. So um, I also want to make the point that, and we talked really briefly about it uh, before, is that there is a seasonality component to, to this. And what I would really emphasize um, for people trying carnivore and trying just a generally low carb diet is that eating the type of food that grows at your latitude at your season is critical. And, uh, you know, look, I, I did a, been doing a really long podcast series with Dr. Jack Cruz, who is emphasizing the role of light in health. Um, and he makes the point that, that food is a, what he calls a photosynthetic barcode of where of of um where, where you are and when you're eating foods that can't be found at that latitude at that time of the year that is what is, is basically causing inflammation in the body because 
that your your mitochondria oh. or the the, the the cells in your body are sensing and they're getting an incongruent message from the environment from the food compared to the 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 environment that they're existing in so i i would make that point and as you said in where you live uh there's for six months of the year it's only meat and fat because that's the only thing that can survive there so that is the the, the precedent and the kind of uh reason why a highly animal-based diet is really appropriate um especially seasonally yeah well that's really interesting so it's almost like a genetic um code that's dependent on where your ancestors lived and and what they would eat but i guess that that makes a lot of sense actually yeah it's uh it really it's, does it's 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 a basically your your body by the solar signal that you're getting through your eyes and um throughout the year is it's dr cruz basically explains that it's like it's a, you're syncing up you're syncing your organism to the the geography and the latitude and the season that you're existing in. And when you're eating like a banana in the middle of winter in Sweden, uh, which you would never be able to, to have historically, it, it's it, that discongruent, that incongruent message that you're sending to your body causes inflammation and really kind of exacerbates, uh, mm. exacerbates all kinds of inflammatory diseases. So it's, it's interesting how with, um, you know, modern food supply chains is that people can get these foods, uh, you know, wherever they are, you can eat bananas in winter in Northern hemisphere winter, you can eat, you know, pineapples down here at, in Albury, uh, in New South Wales in, in winter. So the, uh, the, the point is that, um, we've come so far away from what is our, our evolutionary normal, which would be only eating things at that season, at that location. Um, it's just another reason why people are sick and, and getting unwell um, from a dietary point of view. Yeah, so it's almost like your body gets, like your, you, the memory of your ancestor gets confused. If For me example, I eat a banana in winter, like you said. That's That's interesting and I think <clears throat> on on another well on the same topic it's weird like if i go to the to the shops i'll find you know different fruits and stuff like this and it says oh apples from brazil but not only did they ship them from brazil to sweden they took the apples from brazil shipped them to thailand for packaging and then shipped them here and then it's being pushed also for the for the climate that we should eat less meat and more fruit and vegetables, but that apple has flown m more miles than I fly in ten years. Like it's, it's ridiculous. It's it's hilarious. And also on a, on a different topic on the vegetables and that, because uh, the guy I mentioned before, the Swedish guy I had on, he's a he's a previous world class uh, triathlete, and he's a, a a huge proponent for carnivore and and high fat diet. He. Uh, he said a funny thing because what we hear is like kale is a superfood, broccoli and spinach is are superfoods. And he said, but yeah, compared to what? Like you would have to eat a whole wheelbarrow full of kale to get the nutrients that you would get from one beef liver. So it's like compared to what? A, a liver is really superfood because you don't even have to eat that much. But if I eat a little bit of kale with my meal, I, I don't know if that really makes a difference because you would have to eat so much to get like a hundred grams of kale would be a huge plate because they weigh nothing. 
Yeah, exactly. It's, it's funny the... how we're being told what is what is a superfood, and uh, but it's also a question of the amount that you have to eat. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And what I the way I think about optimal human food is that it should be it should contain be rich in in minerals, vitamins, and and bio and protein. It should be in a form that's easily absorbed. And thirdly, it shouldn't contain anti-nutrients or those or digestion inhibitors or the compounds that we talked about earlier. So if you think about the, those as criteria that make up a good human food and you compare kale to beef liver, well, beef liver has a full spectrum of B vitamins. It has highly bioavailable iron. It has bioavailable zinc. Um, it has uh, preformed fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin A and vitamin D. Um, so it's got nu it's got nutrient density. It's got bioavailability because again they're absorb absorbable in the form of that your body can use. Um, and the reason for that is because it, they contain cofactors. So um, the vitamin D with the magnesium or the the uh, the iron is in the form of heme iron and not um, a non heme iron. Uh, and then thirdly, there's no digestion inhibitors or toxins in a liver. Um, and we can talk about the role of the liver in detoxifying, um, uh, detoxifying chemicals. But what I mean by that is there's no chemical compound in it that is designed to impair the absorption of nutrients. And the same goes for meat. Whereas if you look at kale and we use those same three criteria, um, does it contain some nutrients? Maybe it might contain, um, you know, some, but are they present in uh, a bioavailable form? Well, no, they're not because there's the presence of these, uh, the way that they're structured and in, in, in the context of these, these um, phytates and all kinds of other chemicals is they're not, they're not bioavailable. And thirdly, they've got the isothiocyanates and other kind of, uh, uh, compounds that are going to actively harm you. So when you think about it that way, it's, pretty clear um which is a more suitable food uh for human for humans and it's it's definitely not uh kale so um I'm, again rasmus it's like the point that you're making is that we have to start thinking <laughs> and collectively yeah, uh, yeah when we use our, our mind and think critically uh it's not too difficult to reason from first principles to arrive at an answer that makes sense but if you if people are outsourcing their decisions to um, to someone else or to, to, uh, you know, mainstream narratives, they're not going to, um, often not going to get the correct answer, um, unless they do the, the intellectual lifting themselves. Yeah, for sure. But uh, you know, in today's age, everyone is so busy. It's just the easiest way. It's just to listen to the newspapers, the media, that whatever is available to you, you listen to that and follow along because, most of us are so busy thinking about our jobs and everything else that goes on uh, in life. So I understand that people um, don't have time or can spend the effort to look into it. But if you use, like you said, we, we need to start thinking for ourselves a little bit. It's not that hard to connect a few dots and and just make it make sense. It's not yeah. that hard, really. Yeah, dude. No. Uh, how about seed oils? You touched on it before, but seed oils is something that I seem to—I I struggle to get away from it because it seems to be fucking everywhere. 
Why is yeah, seed well, oils bad for you? Well, well, let's like let's use that same like first principles thinking that we just talked about. So, um, mm-hmm. prior to the invention of uh, what was called Crisco uh, in the early 1900s. Uh, there was no such thing as as a seed oils, and no one was eating large amounts of of seed oils. So, what are seed oils? Essentially, seed oils are the refined oil from uh, a range of crops, plants. So, the the most common or common ones are cottonseed, canola, sunflower, uh, corn, soy, grape seed. Those are the main major uh, seed oils. So, all of these are commodity crops that are grown at massive scales uh, with a range of agricultural uh, fertilizers and herbicides and chemicals sprayed on them the, the the seeds and again they're not they're often called vegetable oils but this is a euphemism they're not vegetables they're seeds um, the, the seeds are harvested and then they go through an extraction process that involves uh, crushing uh, a, a solute or hexane uh, extraction, deodorization, uh, bleaching. Uh, basically, they go through a chemistry lab till till you get out that clear yellow liquid that you see in in the plastic bottles in the in the middle of the supermarket aisle. So so they're essentially uh, very rich in polyunsaturated fatty acids for if that's relevant to anyone. But it's a, called they're omega six fatty acids. Um, and they contain a substance called linoleic acid in quite a high proportion. And this this is basically uh, the type of, of, of fat or oil that is responsible for, um, in excess, responsible for all the health, con- many of the health consequences of, of seed oils uh, called, called linoleic acid. And when you know your body needs a tiny bit of it, and it gets that from naturally from from animal food uh, and non-animal food in normal amounts, but when you eat uh, seed oils, you're getting linoleic acid uh, and its toxic breakdown products in massive, massive, massive amounts that historically we wouldn't have had access to. I mean, think about it this way: imagine having um, the the equivalent amount of oil of a hundred ears of corn. I mean, when in history would anyone have had access to that amount of uh, corn oil? Like, you can't get that much if you even had a field. You you couldn't extract that yeah. much oil and then concentratedly take that much. But when people are eating a standard Western diet, that's the, the in a couple of tablespoons, that's the, the equivalent amount of uh, oil that they're getting. So I mentioned Crisco. Um, and, and, in Whoa, in a, in a couple of tablespoons? Yeah, in a couple of tablespoons. So um, I mentioned wow. Crisco. That they the the genesis of this whole seed oil movement was um, Procter and Gamble, uh, who were a soap company, uh, having an excess of cotton seeds from the cotton industry in the U.S. and they were using it for uh, to make lamp, for lamp oil. They were using it for a range of other industrial uses. But um, someone figured out that if they uh, refined the seed, the cotton seeds, and then uh, hydrogenated it then they could make a product and they sold it to to women to housewives as vegetable shortening or like um essentially a product that was supposed to be better for you than lard because everyone everyone was using lard at at the time in the u.s so uh, that was the beginning but then later on there were other commodity crops like corn and and soy 
that have, particularly in the US that became the main sources of these seed oils uh, in the diet. And if you again go back before 1800, people were eating animal fats. Like that was the main source of dietary fat and they're not they're they're low in linoleic acid historically when the animals are eating a diet um, that is supposed to be. Uh, so the cows eating grass, the pigs are, and chickens are foraging outside. They don't have a lot of this uh, substance in them. So um, that was essentially the the fact is that we've gotten a massive amount of consumption of seed oils, and we're ingesting um, a, a range of toxic byproducts that occur. Um, when we when we eat them, and that is massively contributing to obesity, diabetes, um, cancer, and all these chronic diseases. Wow, that is. I mean, I've heard for for quite a while now because I'm very interested in nutrition and health. So obviously, I'm aware that seed oils are not good for you. The problem. I'm facing and I'm sure a lot of other people are facing well th- the first one is if you're ignorant to it and you don't know then you'd be eating tons of seed oils because they put this in everything and even for me who's I'm very conscious about what I eat it's very hard to to not like I can get around it if I spend a lot of effort and thought into every every meal everything that I do but it's 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 so much more effort that it's almost not worth it. It's so hard to get around. They put seed oils in almost everything. How do how what, what would you say to someone who's listening? How do we get around this? Yeah, and and you you're right, Rasmus. If you're eating out, if you're eating at a restaurant, or you're eating, uh, or you're getting takeaway food like uh, you know Uber Eats. Your food is going to be cooked in in seed oils. It's not going to be cooked in butter or or uh, or beef tallow or or lard or ghee or any of the or coconut oil or any of these oil, uh, fats that are stable at, at high heat and do not cause um, the health problems that these seed oils are causing. So and and why is that? Well, we talked about it earlier in the podcast, and it's because of of um, the, the, I guess the demonization of saturated fat and the fact that the yeah. the saturated fats are uh, incredibly much more expensive to um, manufacture and to raise and um, compared to seed oils. So they're, they're all through this, the food supply, as you said. They're in takeaway food. They're in um, uh, restaurant food. Most people at home, if they're not intentional, are cooking in them. Uh, and it's hard. It's very difficult to get away from and what I would say is that unless you're actively taking steps to reduce your intake, um, you're getting too much, which sounds absolutist, um, and it, it's a difficult thing for a lot of people, but uh, essentially it takes a really intentional um, approach to, to, to if you really want to get healthy uh, with regard to seed oils um, because they do bioaccumulate and they do take a very long time to um, be fully excreted from the body. And so I would give the advice that there's a couple of ways to attack it. I would say be really diligent about eating at home. And when you're at home, you you source high quality fats, source organic butter, um, source organic ghee, or make your own uh, uh, beef tallow from uh, organic uh, or regeneratively raised uh, cow uh, fat or suet that you've met the farmer. So, so make your own fat or source your own high quality fat and cook it yourself. So that's that's the main 
main way to do it and if you're eating at home you know exactly what type of fat you're you're eating with then if you want to eat out then just be strategic about what what you eat um i like to just ask the the uh the restaurant hi is there is there any possibility this could be cooked with butter or could this could i have this cooked in uh, coconut oil and mm. often the restaurant if you ask politely and uh are, are happy to to give you some options or to facilitate a couple of dishes to be cooked that way um also just 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 avoid the deep fryer like the plague because you are not going to find anything cooked in the deep fryer that is not massively uh, completely drenched in in these type of oils so um that's another another tip um but look it's and there's some apps now there's um that it's going to make it easier to find places that uh, stock seed oil free or the restaurants that 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 don't use seed oils Mm. um there's one called the cd app uh that is being built by seed oil disrespector on twitter uh, so I, I check that out if that's I don't think it's out of the US yet but there's going to be more and more apps like this that can help you find places that don't don't use seed oils uh, but look it's, it's it's challenging it's not easy um, but it's worth it I would say um, it's worth it because uh, the consumption of these oils is exacerbating all these problems of chronic disease it's one of the key reasons why um, and I'm not, and again, I'm not going to say it's the only reason, but it's a key reason why uh, you know people you know, at our age uh, you know have the dad board um, uh, contributing yeah. to things like um, yeah overweight, obesity, diabetes, all these problems are uh, uh, cancer are going to be made worse by eating uh, a, a standard diet rich in seed oils. So those are some strategies um, that have worked for me and I, I'd encourage people to, to experiment with and it tastes better. <laughs> like, like let's, uh, let's yeah. not even, let's, <laughs> not, let's not make this too, um, you know, it's not about being dict- being dictative and it's like, well, this foods taste better. Why does French cuisine taste so good? Cause the French are so strict about seed oil consumption. They don't, they don't like it cause it, it doesn't taste oh, as good. Um, all, all their food is cooked in animal fat and rich in French, uh, butter and, and these types of foods. So um, do it for the taste mm. if nothing else. Yeah, well, that goes for for a lot of these things. I think uh, I'll tell you a short story. I I bought meat from a farmer who who's just outside my my town. I bought about ten, eleven kilos of um, minced meat from his grass fed cows, and uh, we made burgers with it. And my wife, <clears throat> she just took the mince, she mixed it with salt and pepper. That's it, nothing else. And we put it on the barbecue, and I had a friend over, and he had, he had he's a big big guy, he eats a lot, and he had about I don't know probably twelve burgers. They're not huge, but like it was a lot of food. And halfway through it, he went, "Dude, what did you mix the mincemeat with? It, it tastes so good. This is like one of the best burgers I've ever had." And I was like, "Salt and pepper, man. This is." But there's a huge difference if you try. But I don't know a lot of people who actually buy meat from farmers or hunters. Um, there's a thing we have in Sweden. I don't know if it's for all cities or all towns, but if you go to Facebook for any Swedes listening, you can put in uh, um, R-E-K-O uh, R-I-N-G-E-N Reko Ringen, we call it. And it's basically a community on Facebook where they collect 
all the farmers that live close to your city and you can order food from them. You can order beef tallow, you can order eggs, you can order grass-fed beef, lamb, all these kinds of things. And it will be a little bit more expensive, but uh, and I don't strictly eat only that. I'm, I'm definitely not that strict, but I do prefer that. And if there's anyone listening, try to buy from, from your local farmers. It tastes, just for the taste alone, I think it's worth it because it tastes so much better than what you get in the shops. Epic, yeah, no, that, that sounds delicious. And the point is that the fact that it was well-raised meat and was so fresh, that was responsible. That was why your friend uh, found it so delicious. There was nothing to it. It didn't didn't need yeah. fancy herbs or spices. It it just was. It spoke for itself in terms of the quality of the meat. And yeah, I mean, I'd echo that 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 thought. I mean, meet your farmer. Just find out how they're raising their animals. Be involved and connected to the process of of the raising of your food. Like that is critical. Um, if you're doing that, you're not going to be eating out of season. You're not going to be eating, um, you know, junk food that's rich in seed oils. It, so many of the problems from a dietary point of view uh, get, and in terms of health, get solved when we eat uh, in a local way. And uh, you don't have to go the whole hog. As you said, you know, you can start by just going, taking a day trip and, and meeting a farmer and maybe buying a couple kilos buy five kilos to start with um and you know or just stop eating the the fries at the the from the deep fryer like we're not i don't think uh it's not reasonable to change tomorrow but just make small changes um get in touch with your farmer and gradually over time um you make the those lifestyle changes become easier to make once you more involved and 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 you you find things like you you make the burgers they taste better uh you learn and and you progress and it's it's all a journey it's not about um trying to do everything at once um you know rome wasn't built in a day yeah definitely all right max i'm gonna have to let you go but uh before you go i know you have your own podcast you have a bunch of bunch of stuff going on where can people find you and and listen to more of of uh, your knowledge and and look into what what is that you do yeah so i have my own podcast it's called uh Regen- the regenerative health podcast uh i talk to regenerative farmers i talk to doctors interested in lifestyle medicine um I'm, at the moment i've been doing quite a, a long series on circadian health which is talking about uh, light and the effect of light on on our at our biology that's why i'm wearing my my blue blockers because i'm under uh not not in natural light indoors and um yeah so so follow my podcast it's on all the podcast streaming services and on youtube too and i'm also on instagram uh dr max uh dr underscore max underscore wilhain and on twitter um so you can find me there so yeah get in touch and um I, we, we talk about all these kinds of topics so yeah thanks uh thanks for having me on rasmus it's great conversation and um yeah, I hope your listeners have uh, have heard something to, to provoke their thought or to maybe try, um, yeah, getting some processed food out of the diet and getting more meat into the diet. Fantastic, man. Thank you for coming on. And I'd love to have you back to talk about the circadian stuff and, and light and all of that too. And uh, I really enjoyed it, man. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow and subscribe to stay up to date on new episodes. 
Until next time.